perspective. The perspective in that, in that, in that first century, in first century Palestine, that perspective in Bethlehem. When you, when you sit down, if you would have sat down a week later and talked to the innkeeper, what would he have said about Christmas night? The innkeeper probably would have said, yeah, a pregnant woman and her husband came and, and, and they needed a place. And the innkeeper gets a bad rap, you guys. He didn't just throw them out into the cold. I think that's what everyone thinks. But really, in Middle Eastern culture, there's no way the innkeeper would have done that. Instead, he would have gone out of his way to find a place for them. And so he finds a place for them. But that's all his perspective would be. Did he recognize that God was present in that single moment? Man, it's a, it's a matter of perspective. Well, here's what we want to do tonight. I want us to sit in the story. I want us to read it, hear it. Maybe you've heard it a bunch of times. But heard it, hear it for the very first time tonight again. And I listen to the story, sit in the story. And here's what I, I asked Maurice. He's one of our teaching pastors. I said, Mo, will you, will you read the story for us and then give us your perspective? And so Mo said, man, I want to enter into this story. He went out to a farm, and he sat out there at this farm. He sat there, thought about the story, read the story for us, and then he gave us his perspective. This is what Mo shared. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news and I will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So why does this even matter? What does it even all mean? That a baby being born for us, what does that matter for us today? Well, there's two things that the scripture tells us. Number one is that God is with us. For some of us, we need that. For some of us, we're wondering, where is he? Well, God is with us. The Bible tells us that God came near. He didn't just come near, but he came as close as our breath. He came near to Louisville. He came near to you, to me. And that matters for us today. Because for some of us, we're in need of that. All of us are in need of that. But even greater than that, it matters for us today because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we didn't have to walk this world alone, that we didn't have to bear the sins of ourself alone. See, the Bible says that he saved us from our sins. The sins of this world, the sins are the very thing that separates us from God. Those things when we fall short, those things that keep us in a human space where we know we can never reach to God, well, God reached down to us. And when he came near, Jesus changed everything. 
because he changed everything, there's hope, there's joy, there's celebration that we can all have, that our creator, God, our father, has decided to do the unthinkable and to come near to us and love us like no one else could in an unconditional way. Today, that's worth celebrating. Today, that's worth living for. Today, that's worth being excited about. Because when he came near, he came near to me, he came near to you, he came near to everybody in this world so that we wouldn't have to be alone and that sin would no longer have the power over our lives. Jesus has the power and we celebrate that. Father, I want to pray. I want to pray this, uh, just this afternoon that, that each one of us would grab hold of that truth. Maurice just spoke truth there. It wasn't just his perspective, it was truth. That you have come near and, and that you're present. And, and I pray that, that whether it's a three-year-old that's, that's sitting here in this room or it's a 90-year-old that's sitting in this room, I pray that that truth would settle and that we would grab hold of it and we'd find great joy in that truth tonight. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, here's what I love about the Christmas story. Some of you, when you listen to what Maurice just shared, some of you, you've heard that a thousand times and you've, you've gone, yes, I, I believe that and I'm living my life for that. Yes, that's true. And some of you, you you've gone, yeah, I get it, kind of, and, and I, I've stepped into it, kind of, and, and, and yeah, it's just, it's a, that's, I guess that's something I should be celebrating. And some of you, you're just going, man, I don't get that at all, but I'm here Someone dragged me here, or I decided to come, and, and you're here. This is what you need to know. And if you didn't get anything else out of tonight, here's one of the things you need to know. There's room for you in this story. When we think of the perspective of what was happening back, back in, 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 at the beginning, when we think of that perspective in, that, in, in Bethlehem on that night, when you think of people like the townsfolk in Bethlehem that have no idea what's going on, and you think about the, the innkeeper that had no idea what's going on, okay? God is present. Think about those people that when Mary and Joseph are walking to Bethlehem to get to, the, to, get to, the, to Bethlehem because of the census and other people are going the other direction, they have no idea they just walked by the presence of God. They have no idea. But here's the deal. God didn't write those people out of the story. God wrote those people into the story. There is room for people that have no idea what this even means, that God is present. There's room. There's room for people like Joseph and the, and the shepherds. Come on, we know that Joseph and the shepherds had to be extremely confused. See, Joseph got it that God is present, but didn't understand it very much at all. And so he's really confused by it. The shepherds, they're out there in the fields. The angels come to, come to him singing, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace on whom his favor rests. And, and we're going to bring you good news of great joy for all people. And the shepherds are out there going, what in the world is going on? And so, so while they while they understood to a point they were also very confused. God didn't write that confusion out of the story. God wrote that into the story. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. That's part of the beauty of God as he looks at each one of us and says, look, I know that there are some that don't get it. There are some that are confused, some that have, they have trouble wrapping their head around it. I'm writing you into the story. 
Come on in and let's keep learning more about this. Look what Max Lucado said about this. I love the way he, he writes, and he's a pastor down in San Antonio that writes about, just, he, he's a storyteller in it. He, listen to what he says. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the events puzzle him, but he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. See, he doesn't quite get it. He's still confused by it, and he's in the heart of the story. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows she is holding God. See, well, I tend to relate to Joseph, or I mean, if any of you guys have been around for long enough, you know, I t- I'll, re- I'll relate to Joseph and, and, uh, and the shepherds, where, where I'll recognize that God is present, but I'll be confused. God, I don't, know, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it. And so I'd love to talk about that. I'd love to talk from the perspective of the townspeople. Because there are times in my life where I, do, I just don't even recognize that God is present. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking about last week. Where there's times where I'm just going, I don't even know if God is present. Or I, I, I went through that whole day just going, is God present? See, th- those, those are things that I would love to talk about. But tonight, what I, what I want to talk about and what, I want, what I'm going to talk about is this perspective of the one person that did get it. See, in the midst of all the things that we've gone through over the last couple of years... I think we need some inspiration from Mary. In all that's been happening, I mean, we, we need some inspiration from somebody that, that said, I know what's happening. God is present. He's right here. Man, we got to jump into Mary's heart and Mary's mind when it comes to this story. We've got we've to think about it. I want to I be inspired by Mary's anticipation of what's about to happen. Come on, think about this, you guys. Climb into her head, the anticipation for what's about to happen. I want you guys to, to think back at the, at the moments that you, were most, that you were most excited about something that was about to happen. Come on, a night where you could not sleep. It was the night before a, your wedding day or the, or the night before like, you know, prom or whatever it would be that was like your, your thing that you could not wait for it's about, about to happen. For any of you kids in the room, that's probably tonight. It's probably tonight where you won't be able to sleep tonight. Man, when I, was, when I was a little kid, when I was your guys' age, man, that was me. I could not sleep. Here's the deal. I, me and my three brothers, in fact, I got a picture of us right here. This is, uh, this is, this is the four of us. Um, I'm one of the two in the middle. I, 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 to be honest with you, I, there, I sometimes can't tell which one of us is me and which is John. This is the trouble with being a twin. But, but when, you're, when, you're, when you're that age... Man, we couldn't wait for the next day. We'd all go to midnight mass together. And, and, you know, you guys think that because I'm a pastor, I was probably at 10 writing notes down and all that. I was sleeping along with all the other 10-year-olds at midnight mass because we grew up in our Catholic, in that Catholic world, it was, it was hard to stay awake. 
We'd get home late that night, and then we could not go to sleep. We would stay up, and we'd talk, and then we'd finally fall asleep, and we'd wake up at 6 o'clock the next morning. My parents told us we couldn't wake them up till 7, and so for an hour, we just sat there talking to each other. We weren't allowed to go in front of the tree where all the gifts were at. We had to just sit in the hallway and just talk to each other in the hallway till 7 o'clock. Finally, when Dad would, when it was hit 7, we'd burst into their room, and we'd go wake them up, and, and you know, I... I don't know why, and my dad will kill me for this, but he always wore his worst, oldest pair of underwear on the night before Christmas. And, and, and so we'd wake him up, we'd go, Dad, put some sweats on, you know? So he'd put his sweats on, and, and my mom, he is going to kill me for that. I, 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 he, he'd put his sweats on, my mom would slowly go down and make some coffee, just drag out the anticipation like crazy until we could finally get down there. Well, now that we have kids, when we had kids, the great thing about being a parent is you can do all the things your parents did to you. So my kids would, here's, here's I'm going to even show it to you guys, because there's a reason why this dumb ladder is out here. It's because this is our stairwell. This is the stairs to our upstairs, okay? So the kids would wake up, the kids would wake up, and they'd, and they'd sit outside of our door, and they could not wait to go downstairs, but we wouldn't let them go downstairs. They could see the tree from the top. They could see the gifts, but we wouldn't let them go down there. They could see their stocking. They could see that my stocking's about three times as big as theirs because that's what dads get to do. So, so they, they'd look down, they'd talk to each other. Jackie and I could hear them. And at seven o'clock, they'd burst into our room. They'd tell me to, to put some sweats on because I put on the rattiest pair of underwear I had because that's what dads do. And then, and then, they would, they would, Jackie would slowly go downstairs. She'd, she'd make some coffee and we'd finally invite them down. And it was just, it was, the anticipation was through the roof. What's beautiful about having adult kids now is it doesn't change. Tonight, my kids will stay at our house and then tomorrow morning they'll wake up early and they'll sit outside our door and they'll talk to each other and then they'll look down there. They'll wake us up. I'll change and everything, and then we'll go down there. It's so beautiful. And this time, you guys, I have two great, two grandkids that are going to be there too, which is, you guys that are grandparents, I'm so mad at you for not telling me how cool that was, that is. So, so the anticipation is awesome. Now, there's one more thing. They would, they'd come down the stairs. There's one more thing that they would look for when they get down. They would look to see if a yellow box was, was among the tree, was among the gifts, and if the yellow box was there, they knew, oh, that's the, that's the best gift. Now, most of the time, the stuff in the yellow box was, a, was most of the time, it was a phone, uh, you know, an iPhone. And what they didn't know is that it was just an upgrade, so it was free for us. But they thought it was the most expensive gift out there. So, um, so they would open up the greatest gift. And so their anticipation of seeing the gifts and then seeing the yellow box was was. He, was Huge. Come on, you guys, put yourself into Mary's brain on this. Go back 2,000 years. Go back 2,000 years plus nine months. Go back to that moment that Gabriel's talking to Mary, and Gabriel says to her, this is an angel talking to Mary and says, Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you, and you are anointed with great favor don't just read through that. A lot of times we fly through passages of Scripture like that. And we just go, okay, so this angel's talking to Mary. 
He's going, rejoice, man. You've been set aside. You've been blessed. Mary was troubled over those words, the angel, and bewildered by what that might mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Don't yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You'll become pregnant with a baby boy. You're going to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign as king of Israel forever. And his reign will have no limit. Okay. What followed is probably the greatest understatement in all of the Bible. Luke says, Mary pondered these words. She pondered these words? You know she obsessed over these words. Come on, we can't get a text from somebody that you read 400 times going, what did they mean by this? Gabriel says those words, and how often did Mary go over that in her head over and over and over again? Wait a minute. He's going to reign as king forever, and his reign will have no limit? That's what's going to happen with this baby? I'm carrying this baby? And then on top of it, Mary has to marry what she just got from Gabriel with what she knows from the Older Testament. Because see, there's a guy named Isaiah centuries before, a prophet. I know some of you guys, it sounds like a Matrix movie or something, a prophet and prophecy, but it's just somebody that God spoke to that said, look, here is what I have planned. And that, that writer, Isaiah, wrote this down. That prophet wrote this down. He said, look, there's gonna, Emmanuel is coming. God is going to be with us. And when God is with us, he is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He writes down that he's going to be the almighty God and the everlasting father and the prince of peace and a wonderful counselor. Now, he also writes, writes that he's going to be broken for our transgressions. And that's the cross. But he writes all of that down, and Mary knows it. And so now Mary's putting those together. You can just imagine over nine months the anticipation. Think about over nine months, every time that baby kicked, every time she felt an elbow, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the son of God. Now, you, you, you take all of that, and then you take what, what says in Isaiah 7, what, it say, what Isaiah also said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he'll call, she'll call him Emmanuel. The virgin will give birth to a son. Mary's got to be reading that going, that's me. So, so think about it at six months. Think about it at eight months. Think about it as she's, as she's coming into Bethlehem and ba Braxton Hicks contractions are happening and, and, and it's 10, 10 seconds of, uh, between contractions and five seconds between contractions and she's, 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 the pain is there but the wonder is there. The anticipation is there. And then finally, finally she has this baby and she sits there in, it was, whether it's a barn or a cave or the backside of the innkeeper's house. She sits there with this baby surrounded by those that had no idea what was happening. 
And surrounded by those that were really, she could see Joseph. She sees the shepherds, how confused they were. But for her, she's holding the Son of God. For her, she's looking down and she's saying, it's the King of Kings. It's the Lord of Lords. I'm holding the Almighty God the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. I'm holding the Prince of Peace. You can picture her going through all of those words that Gabriel said. You, don't think, you think she forgot those words? All those words that Gabriel said, you can picture her thinking, he will reign as king forever and his reign will have no limit. So she's going, I'm holding this baby that's not only going to bless my generation, but every single generation to come without limit. He's going to be the king of kings for generations. I sat in this for a while, you guys, and I just thought about Mary. I thought about what she might be thinking about you and me. Generations later, would we get what she got? Would we see what she sees? Or will all the stuff that we've seen around it cloud how simply she saw what she was holding? I wrote this stuff down. I, I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to write down some thoughts that I would think that Mary was probably thinking. So I just, I, I, I wrote this. I said, will they get it? Will they see that it really is God that walked on this earth? Will they conclude that my son will be for them and love them and will never, ever leave them? Will they realize their own need for a savior or will they deflect it away from them and onto the seemingly messed up ones around them? Will they see Jesus and see the relationship and the love that he will pour out on every single person or will they turn this truth into religious ritual and activity? Will they see the hope that comes with this gift, the redemption that he will offer, the grace that he will pour out? Or would they turn Jesus' message into a list of do's and don'ts, a moral checklist, an impossible standard to live up to? Would their circumstances pull them away from the peace he will offer? Or would they experience his presence even in the hardest stuff? Will they find the joy he will want them to experience? Will they see the hope out of the darkness? Will they experience his peace in the chaos? Will their hearts burst with joy from this gift tonight? Will they truly let this night, this silent night, this holy night sink in? God is present. Will they know it's Jesus? See, Mary saw the greatest gift Mary didn't see anything else, all the other stuff that can cloud it. She saw the greatest gift. And she wanted us to see the greatest gift 
that his reign would never end. It's a yellow box, you guys. It's a yellow box that is never meant to be put into a corner. It's a yellow box that isn't, it don't, you don't put it aside and open it up once a year. We can't open it up once a year. We have too many things we're dealing with. We got marriages that we, that we, we want to experience something different than we're experiencing. We've got, we've got kids that we struggle with. We got, we've got issues in work. We got issues within ourselves. And Mary is saying, I got the greatest gift. Open it up and see the hope that I see. Open it up and see the joy that I see. Open up and see the peace that I see. And I think there's a lot of us that need some peace right now. Open it up and see the love that I see. An unconditional love that you could never, ever, ever lose. Where God only says one thing with it. Love other people the way I'm loving you. Mary sees a wonderful counselor and an almighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace. And she wants us to open it. I want to wish all of you guys a very, very Merry Christmas. And my hope for you is my hope for me. That we would, with great anticipation, open up the greatest gift. And with great joy, with great expectancy, we would see that that gift meets us, loves us, and will never leave us. God came near he was present then and he is present today. And Mary is thinking, you know it, years and years and generations later, open it and experience that joy today. And then next week, open it again and continue to experience the joy of Jesus coming near. Father, we pray that you would, you would bless each one of us with 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 the truth that needs to sink in. You have blessed us and you've given us the greatest gift. We need to let that sink in. We pray that this Christmas night, this Christmas Eve, we would lean in, lean towards, open it with expectancy for your love and your joy and your peace. Love, we, we, we love, Father, we pray that, that we would open it with great hope of what you have for us. I pray that each one of us would hold tight to that truth tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.